0: Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Good morning, everyone. I think fall finally found us. The weather, the nice weather is finally here. That, So I think we skipped spring, and so I um, apologize. Two weeks of school already, so if I have to stop and get a little sip, I apologize. So first of all, let me just t- take some time to introduce myself. I know I've seen most of you and met many of you, but my name is Chuck Reed Kirk. Um, my wife and I, Holly, um, we're originally from California. So just to kind of let you know a little bit about us, this is we moved here in the summer of 2000. So we're starting our 19th year of the Minnesota Adventure since we've been here. Um, it's, it's interesting, when we first moved here, there wasn't a Calvary Chapel, but now we did attend Calvary Chapels back in California as well. We attended at Twin Peaks and then in Rialto, which are, they're both in Southern California. Um, and then we've been attending here since the December of last year. Uh, before then, um, we had been attending a church for 14 years, and for the last 12 years, we were the middle, middle school ministers at that church. Felt it was time to transition and then attended another church and um, just felt that um, wanted a church that where the balance of discipleship and outreach were together and one wasn't outweighing the other. And so that's when we thought, you know what, we're familiar with Calvary Chapel. We know what their stance is and that's when we started visiting and, and have felt very welcomed since we've been here. But then, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Don asked me to speak. And I said, yikes, adults, okay, because uh, this is my 32nd year of teaching elementary and middle school, in uh, public school, and so I do well with people that are usually shorter than me, but uh, you put me in front of people, my height are taller and I get a little bit nervous. Uh, also, then uh, worked in 30 years of middle school ministry. Um, so it's, this is just a different venue for me, so I'm gonna just take a breath, and let's start with a word of prayer, and then we'll move into uh, what God is maybe going to reveal to us today. Father, it is good to be in your house. It's great to know that uh, the one thing we have in common here is Jesus, and the fact that, um, he is the reason that we have life. He's the reason that uh, we um, have a relationship with you. And I just ask, Father, that today as we look into your word, that um, your Holy Spirit would just uh, guide me and that uh, your words would just speak to all of us here and that we would leave here with a, a new and refreshed thought of um, our salvation, and who we are in you. And it's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Yeah, so this morning we are going to be uh, looking at 2 Peter chapter 1. So if you'd like to turn there, um, I'm going to be teaching from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. So just to let you know, sorry, that's kind of the one I've been using for, you know, I kind of went from NIV to that. And so it's, uh, so I apologize, it's probably a little bit different than what we're uh, used to hearing Pastor Don preach from, but, uh, so we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 15, and it says, Simon Peter, a slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal privilege with ours, through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. For his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corrupt the corruption that is in the world because of evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly supplied to you. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you know them and are established in the truth you have. I consider it right, as long as I am in this tent, to wake you up with a reminder, knowing that I will soon lay aside my tent, as our Lord Jesus Christ has also shown me, and I will also make every effort that after my departure, you may be able to recall these things at any time. So, as I was praying about what I would share this morning, and I was thinking about what's going on in our country and things like that, and I just thought, this is a really important passage, trying to, this idea of remembering, remembering who we are, you know, remembering who we are first and foremost in Christ Jesus, above all the other fray and stuff that's out there. Um, so, Peter, when he was writing to the people in that day, his first Letter was about wanting everybody to be aware that there's going to be persecution that's going to come. Persecution because of their faith in uh, Jesus Christ. And then a few years later, when he knew it was getting close to be where his time wasn't, he was going to be actually executed, he was writing the second letter. And the second letter was mainly to let the church be aware that there were going to be false teachers. And that there are false te- that were there were false teachers in the places where he had already uh, shared with before, and basically in just the idea of the returning of Jesus Christ. And so he really continued on this theme of remembering, remembering the truth, and that's what I want us to look at today: this idea of remembering. And so to begin with, I want you to stop and think about some things that are important to you, things that have impacted your life. For me, some of the strong memories I have, the first thing is I I think back to a trip that Holly and I were able to take last year, um, back to Berlin, Germany, okay? Uh, that's when I, where I was stationed in the Army back in the early 80s. Uh, and it was really a powerful experience to be able to walk around the barracks where I lived and to go back to the building where I worked. You know, I hadn't been there in 30-plus years, but then just, just have all those memories rush back. You know, the feelings, the emotions, the things that were going on during that time when I was serving. And it was really neat to be able to share those with Holly because that was a part of my life that where she wasn't in at that time. Uh, Some of the other recent memories, just thinking about um, Holly's parents, you know, as they're now walking through this situation with Holly's mom having dementia and just this idea of memories and how excited we are when we go and visit her that she still calls us by name. Um, and, And that's, you know... It's a little thing, but it's a really huge thing as well. Um, I think also back to our wedding day nearly 28 years ago, how, what a wonderful uh, memory that was. I think back to my first earthquake. You know, being from California, that was quite an event, but it, it has left an impression on me, and I can still see what was happening in my room that night when that earthquake hit, um, once again, being from California, I remember the first Dodger cap my dad bought me. I was five years old. He sat me up on the counter of a pet Boys auto shop, and I don't know if you guys know Pet Boys, but all right, and, and got me my first Dodger cap, and to this day, yes, I root for the twins too, but I am still an extremely avid Dodger fan, and and that memory has an impression on me. Um, I also think back to the day I responded to the gospel. When I was about nine years old, you know, I grew up and we were going to a Southern Baptist church, and I remember every single Sunday always hearing about the fire and brimstone, about hell and things like that, and and how scared I was. But I remember the Sunday that the pastor taught about the love of God and about Jesus and that we needed to have a relationship with Jesus to save us from that. And I remember that was the Sunday that I responded, not out of fear, but out of that love. So I bring this all up because this idea of remembering is such an important aspect of who we are in our everyday lives, as well as in our spiritual lives, remembering what Jesus has brought us out of. And so that's what I want us to look at. And and once again, this is a theme that's echoed throughout the Bible. If you think about the Old Testament, um, Israel was admonished over and over again to remember the Lord and his great deeds to remember his precepts and his law. They were instructed to erect altars and uh, memorials to remember the things that had gone on in their past so that they wouldn't forget God. They were also admonished to remember what the Lord had done for them. And unfortunately, over and over again, the Bible records how the children of Israel forgot the Lord and what he had done, and that they had done evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so that idea of remembering so that we don't forget, so that we remember what we were called here for. And then in the New Testament, Jesus would say to his disciples, remember what I told you. And the gospel would say over and over again that the disciples would remember what Jesus had said. And then the Apostle Paul would challenge those who he ministered to, that they should remember, remember the word of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then he would go and give lots of different instructions. And James and Jude would also challenge their readers not to forget, and to remember what they were called to. And so as Peter then is writing this letter, he's thinking back probably to a lot of this, extremely aware of the importance of remembering And begins his second letter with this theme. And so I want us to go back and look at verses 12 and 13 before we go through the first 11 verses. So Peter writes, Therefore, I will always remind you about these things. Even though you know them and are established in the truth you have, I consider it right as long as I am in this bodily tent to wake you up with a reminder. Now, you've probably heard this before, that any time you see the word therefore in the Bible, you have to wonder what the therefore is there for. All right? And so in this case, the therefore, he's, he's referring back to those first 11 verses. And so I want us to go and take a look at these verses, and I want us to look at five truths about remembering our salvation. I want us to remember about the reality of our salvation, the riches of our salvation, the responsibility of our salvation, the results of our salvation, and the rest we find in our salvation. So, verses 1 and 2. The first thing Peter would have us remember is the reality of our salvation, that we do have that, and what does that mean to us? And so he says, Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal privilege with ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Peter is letting us know that we've gotten or obtained our divine share of this precious faith. You know, some translations say a precious faith, and I think that is so awesome how... He calls it precious, but it's it's talking about equal privilege, that we have saving faith, and we have equal privilege in that faith. Paul would put it this way in Galatians 3.28, this idea that there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. So all of us, as a body of believers, we have equal privilege through his faith to serve him, to live a life that he has called us to. Peter also has been talking about the reality of our faith and salvation gives us multiplied peace and grace. And like I said, in this day and age, I need lots of peace. Just trying to get through the day. I don't even watch the news anymore because it's it's just such a challenging time that our country is facing right now and grace just wishing that people would learn to give grace to them to those around themselves and just have a little bit more civility and then he talks about having knowledge and and the word here in the greek is epigenosis meaning a deep knowledge a meaningful knowledge not just knowing but one that leads to action You know, it's one thing to know something, but then if you know it, and then you do something with that knowledge, and it leads to action. Our precious faith is built on knowing the truth and knowing the source of that truth, and that gives us stability in days like these when we sometimes are wondering, you know, how things are going to play out. I find this encouraging also because this statement should help unify all of us as believers because we do share the same faith and righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So the second thing Peter would want us to remember are the riches of our salvation in faith, and he talks about that in verses 3 and 4. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these he has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desires. So Peter is saying, remembering not only that we're saved, the reality of it, but also what it means to be saved and the assurance of our salvation. He's given us everything. He's given us a life, a regenerated life. You know, and it's through God's glory which helps transform us from the inside out, this idea of sanctification, this idea that each and every day, we're trying to be more and more like Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. And so therefore, godliness and goodness, this idea of virtue should be manifested externally in our lives. Peter will go into more detail in the following verses. But uh, man, how hard that is to to each and every morning wake up and say, man, how am I going to be more like Jesus today? Because we know life happens. And a, a lot of times it gets in the way of us trying to do what we know we need to do. But then that's when we really need to rest in the Holy Spirit and let him do the work in us. It's not us anyway, and that's what I think gets us into trouble sometimes, because we try to do it, you know, on our own. Peter also says, so that we can share in his divine nature. I thought that was a really cool statement, his divine nature, who God is. And... So God promises to give us all that we need to live that divine nature that he's created us to live. And when I was studying, one of my favorite old school commentators is Warren Wiersbe. So I know I'm old and he's one of my favorite commentators because I can understand him. You know, some of the older ones also are a little bit, you know, I start getting back to Matthew Henry and it's like... Okay, I think I understood him, but I do like Warren Wearsby. So I thought I would read just quickly a chunk of what he said about this idea of divine nature because it really jumped out at me. He says, When the sinner believes on Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to impart the life and nature of God within. I thought, wow, that's cool. A baby shares the nature of its parents, And a person born of God shares the divine nature of God. The lost sinner is dead, but the Christian is alive because he shares the divine nature. The lost sinner is decaying because of his corrupt nature. But the Christian can experience a dynamic life of godliness because he has God's divine nature within. Mankind is under the bondage of corruption. But the believer shares the freedom and growth that is a part of possessing the divine nature. And then here he gives some really, I thought, some examples that I had thought of but never to this um, degree. he he says, nature determines appetite. The pig wants slop, and the dog will even eat its own vomit, which Peter says later on in this uh, book but the sheep desires green pastures. Nature also determines behavior. An eagle flies because it has an eagle's nature and a dolphin swims because this is the nature of of the dolphin. And nature also determines environment. Squirrels climb trees, moles burrow underground, and trout swim in the water. Nature also determines association. Lions travel in prides, sheep in flocks, and fish in schools. So, if nature determines appetite and we are God's nature, we have God's nature within, then we ought to have an appetite for that which is pure and holy. Our behavior ought to be like that of the Father, and we ought to live in the kind of spiritual environment that is suited to our nature. We ought to associate with that which is true to our nature. The only normal fruit-bearing life for the child of God is a godly life. Because we possess the divine nature, we have completely escaped the defilement and decay in this present evil world. If we feed the new nature the nourishment of the word, then we will have little interest in the garbage of the world. But if we make provision for the flesh, our sinful nature will lust after the old sins, and we will disobey God. Godly living is the result of cultivating the new nature within. So, you know, I I think about my time, you know, where do I invest my time and what am I feeding myself, where am I associating and all of those things. And so um, Peter was making sure those people understood at that time, and I think the Holy Spirit is challenging the church, meaning worldwide, the same thing, to make sure we are separate from what's going on throughout the rest of the world. And so, therefore, together with verses one and two, this should help us find hope and joy in the assurance of our salvation. It is our helmet of salvation. And you know, when you think back to Galatians 6 and spiritual armor, knowing these things then protects us from the enemy's lies and deception. And can't, that can render us useless, as we'll see in later passages, too. So, next, Peter talks about the responsibility of our salvation. So we've had the reality, the riches, and then now the responsibility. And so he says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Now, we know that our salvation is a free gift based on God's grace and saving faith. But just like with any gift, we know that we can't allow ourselves to forget that we need to be responsible with that gift. And that's no different than with our salvation. God's done everything for our salvation and our life afterward, that sanctification piece. And that's what supplements then that salvation. And whenever I hear the word supplement, I think vitamins, you know, kind of thinking, you know, I take my supplements every day. You know, but that, that's only after I'm supposedly supposed to be eating healthy meals to begin with, all right, that those supplements then help out. And that's kind of the picture that I'm seeing Peter when he, he used this term. I know not that they had supplements back then, but the idea that what are we adding to that life of, you know, faith and grace already. And so he says to make every effort or zealously pursue to supplement or fully supply our faith with goodness that idea of moral excellence we live in a world that doesn't want to hear about morality anymore you know they want it to be amoral that every you know that it's there shouldn't be any judgment there's no right or wrong you know but we know as christ followers that there is truth There is right and wrong, and that we need to continue to strive for that. And with that then, that knowledge again of the idea of desiring to know God and his will more deeply. And then from there, self-control, breaking the will to sin. Self-control, that is, you know, once again, being a teaching fifth grade. Self-control is not always the strong suit of fifth graders, So, or fifth grade teachers at time for myself even, so. um, But so, but helping then to lead them—that's my responsibility. (laughs) Helping them understand, you know, how then to be a touch more self-controlled. All right, and then same with us as believers in the body. You know, coming together and supporting each other as we're trying to walk through. This world, And sometimes when we fall or stumble, coming together and helping one another through these challenges too. Which leads then to this idea of endurance or persevering through trials and difficulties. Not just passively waiting, but it's more of an active thing. Relying on God. Calling upon God to help. Calling upon the people in the body, if you're struggling or you're having trials, to help out. But we, as Amer- good Americans, we have to tough it out. We think, you know, we, we're such an individualistic society. We're on our, you know, we, <clears throat> all right, I can do it, you know. And, and, and that is so not what God calls us to. And we need to rely on one another as well as relying on God. And then he says that should lead to and, and tie that in with brotherly affection. And once again, that's talking about that compassionate friendship, that idea of koinonia that we as the church fellowship should be having with one another, which leads then to selfless love or that agape love that you know is spoken so much of in the New Testament. That Jesus is the perfect reflection of that humble service to others. I can't help but notice similarities. To Galatians 5, through 24, where Paul introduces the fruit of the spirit, um, where he says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So there's, to me, there is that connection there that uh, with what Peter is saying as well. Next, then, Peter talks about the result of our salvation in verses 8 and 9. He says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. A nice if-then statement there. All right, so... Cause and effect. Um, for if these things, if, if they're increasing more or there's a superabundance of these things, kind of makes me think back to John 10, 10, when Jesus said he came to give us life and to give us life abundantly. And I think, you know, maybe Peter might be referring back to that. This is that abundance that he promises us. But if not, then he's talking about being useless, these are some pretty strong words that Peter is using here. Useless, producing no good for God. You know, it's used in the idea of being lazy or idle or unemployed in the secular terms back then, but in, uh, which is you can find like in Titus one twelve. But in the spiritual meaning, producing no good for God or spiritual uselessness. Um, then he talks about being fruitless. Because once again, you know, we were just talking about the fruit of the Spirit and what a godly life should be producing. It, this term "carpos" also has the meaning of being barren, or useless, even dead, as James talks about in, two, in his book, chapter two, verse twenty. Or blind, short-sighted, loses spiritual perspective for the things of the world. So Peter's talking about believers that can only see what's in front of them and thinking about only of themselves and not having a godly view of things. It seems like he's talking about believers that are more concerned about what they're getting out of life now rather than being concerned about the eternal or the lives of others. These terms are used in the Bible for both non-believers and believers alike when when you take a look at it. Um, believers that aren't producing fruit. So I feel that Peter is saying that if we're not supplementing our faith, in other words, going through that sanctification process, we're not being useful to God. And we're, not, we're as useful to God as non-believers, which is there's no use at all. And that's kind of what the passage would lead us to kind of see. These believers would be like those that were spoken of and when we were looking in Revelation a few months back, chapter 2, to the church of Ephesus, where Jesus admonishes them and says, I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. I wonder maybe if this isn't the reason at times why a spiritually dying world doesn't see the urgency and importance of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because there, unfortunately, is a segment of believers that have forgotten their responsibilities to add to their faith, and so that they come in contact with people that see a, a living, vibrant faith and understand that Jesus is the only hope for this world. And that's what the church has been called to be that light, that salt, so that people around us can see there is a difference in us, and that difference is Jesus. And so, my prayer is that we would be purposeful to be fruitful and not barren and not blind to that around us. So, and then lastly, Peter would say, remember to find rest in our salvation. Therefore, brothers, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be richly supplied to you. You see, a fruitful, obedient life helps to dispel the doubts that come up in our lives all the time. You know, Paul writes about this like in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That obedient faith, Philippians two twelve through 13, Paul also says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So that brings us full circle to verse 12. Explaining the therefore. Therefore, based on understanding the reality of our faith, the riches of our faith, the responsibility of our faith, the results and resting in our faith, I will always remind you about these things even though you know them and are established in the truth you have. So some things I want us to think about as we... Think about this passage. First of all, this doesn't really resonate with us if we don't have a relationship with Jesus. So my first question would be, do you even have salvation through Christ to remember what this means to us? And if not, then I would challenge you, come and talk to me or talk to someone here, and we'd be more than happy to share what that means to have a living relationship with Jesus have we forgotten our salvation? Have we forgotten the joy that it brings and what it, it, it means in our life? Are we thankful for that? Do we live a thankful life because of our salvation? Have we forgotten the riches of it? I think back, like I said, that day that I walked down the aisle, down Pipeline Baptist Church, all right, in Chino, California, and thinking, you know, that God loved me enough that he sent his son to die for me? Have we forgotten the riches of it? Have we forgotten or about the responsibility of it? We've been called to go out and share the good news to people. That's, our, that's our, one of our primary purposes as Christ followers. Are we fulfilling it? What about the results? You know, in my opinion, this is where we have to really look at what kind of stewards are we being with our lives and our resources, our time, our energy, our talents, our gifts, our finances. You know, The tough things for us, once again, as Americans, that you know, these are things we, we hold on to dearly because you know, they're ours, but we have to remember they're gifts from God, all of these things. How about our usefulness? Are we bearing fruit? Are we resting in our salvation? in the busyness of our world? Are we taking time to rest in the fact that we know we have a Savior who loves us and we have salvation because we've given our life to Christ? Are we experiencing the confidence that comes to an obedient believer? And I know it's hard in this day and age, if we, you know it, it's, it's almost like if we say something, about being a Christ follower, we know that we're going to get pushback in our society. But you know what? We have confidence because we know the truth. And we were promised by Jesus that we would face persecution. But we still have confidence in that because we know that no matter what, we know what the eternal outcome is. do we remember, like I said earlier, the joy of our salvation? I think a lot of times I know when things are really challenging for me, that's the peace. You know, I'm once again, a little bit old school. The joy of the Lord is my strength. That that chorus comes back into my head. That's that's where my go-to place. You know, even when I've got little Nancy being naughty in the classroom or whatever, and I'm wanting to get really frustrated. I have to go back to the joy of the Lord and that I am being an example to Nancy at that time of the love of Jesus in that classroom. I have to rely on the Holy Spirit's strength to help me in all situations and that thinking of who I am in Christ helps me with that. So my prayer then as we close is that we would not forget the power of remembering. Remembering what Jesus did for us and why. That we remember the joy of our salvation. And that each time, like last week, you know, that's one of the cool things about the Lord's Supper, that each and every time we then partake of you know, the Lord's table and we hear those words, do this in remembrance of me, that hopefully they'll have a renewed... Th- idea reinvigorating meaning to us and that the effect that they have um, in our faith and on our lives let's pray father god you are such a merciful god And and as I stand here in in front of uh, my brothers and sisters, I just thank you so much for the fact that you are a God of truth. You're a God of hope. You're a God of mercy and grace. And Father, I just ask that as we continue um, out today and next week into the world around us, help us to remember Help us to remember our salvation. Help us to remember the faith that we have in you. Help us to rely on you. Lord, help us not to do, try to always do things on our own, but to let you come alongside because you want to. You want to be that guide and help in our lives. Help us to want to live the divine, divine nature that you've called us to. Holy Spirit, I ask for myself and that I would remember that, that I've been called to your divine nature and that I share in it. Uh, Lord, thank you again for just loving us so much that you sent your son Jesus to die for us and to rise again, and that because of that, we know what the eternal outcome is. And it is once again in the powerful name of Jesus we pray.